0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here Redemption in Tucson. Um, I'm not sure if i said this at the beginning, but we like to make sure people know that Redemption Church is one church in multiple congregations throughout Arizona eight in the Phoenix area, and one in Flagstaff, and then us here in Tucson. And also, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I want to give you all a, a heads up that I have a stutter. So it just kind of comes in and out um, as 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 uh, as I go as I as I um, preach. You want to make sure that you all know what that is. And um, also, I made it a point, as you can see up here, we have a baptism service this morning, which is very exciting. And um, I'll explain what we're doing and how we go through it at the end of the end of the service. And it actually really closely ties with what we're walking through in the scripture this morning. Um, but I also want to assure you all, in case you're concerned, and also those people that are being baptized out, um, that, that sometimes when pastors baptize people, they'll say, while they're baptizing them, buried with Christ and raised again to new life in Him. Um, and sometimes they'll do that while they're being baptized. And so, two reasons that's not a good idea. One is they don't hear what you're saying. So they don't know. Like, you're baptizing them and they're coming out and they're splashing. Especially bad for us because when you have a stutter and you put people down and then you're gonna try to and you're getting an outlier, it's like they might be down there and like you're all freaking out. So I want to encourage you. I'll say it first, then just one fluid motion. It'll be good. Okay. So rest, rest at ease with that. Um. But uh, also, we're going to get into Titus this morning, so um, if you want to turn there with me, if you have an app, or if you want to turn there in your Bibles, and um, also if you uh, need a Bible, if you don't have one with you today, go ahead and hold your hand up high, and uh, somebody will give you one. hold it up, and keep it up. También, si quieres la Biblia en español, solamente levanta su mano y diga español. Um, we want to make sure everybody has a Bible they can read and understand. And if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Okay, we want you to uh, have this, put your name in it, underline stuff. We want everybody to have a Bible that they can make their own and understand and read. Um, and so while your turn is there, while those are being handed out, let me explain kind of where we've been and where we're headed. Every time we get into a new series, we need to take some time and just look ahead and kind of kind of gain our understanding of where we're headed, right? Like what's, what's happening. And um, so we love being in books of the Bible here at Redemption Church. Um, honestly, I feel just more at home. So if you can all just take a deep breath with me, because we've been in a little mini series for, uh, for a while and it's been great. We walked through what it needs to be gospel centered and outward focused and we spent four weeks looking at that, and then we were in um, for Easter Sunday, and we looked at a different passage, but um, we love just kind of hunkering down in a book. And so we're going to be in Titus for about eight weeks, for about um, two months, and then we're going to be in the Psalms all the way through the summer. So that's kind of where we're headed, and then we have a new um, series. Coming up in the fall. So just want to give you all you A-type folks that are where we're we going. Now, I need to know. Um, that's where we're headed. And um, so let me explain just a little bit about where we're at in Titus before we just dive in and start to kind of pick it apart. Okay, We, we need to understand a couple things. Firstly is this. Whenever we read the scriptures, we're reading somebody else's mail. Okay, so um, it's always helpful to understand like, who's writing it, who's receiving it, who's the primary audience, and what's going on around it, what's happening in the greater context, rather than just like, you know, flipping around and picking a verse and being like, well, to me, this is what it means. And, and, and again, someone else's mail, uh, first of all, it's God is the author, and so right, we should pause and comment, what is God communicating in general? And then we need to step back or maybe press in and understand, um, well, who's, who's the human author and what are they communicating and who's the human audience and what are they hearing and what do they need to hear and what kind of cultural context are they in? Okay, so that's um, always important, right? That's for free. Like whenever you read the Bible, that's the way we need to approach it. So the author, we'll see, we'll get into it a little bit more, but his name is Paul. And this is likely written toward the end of the 60s AD. And um, Paul um, likely died around 67 AD by beheading, and he was killed for his faith in Jesus. And as we talked about last week, his name was Saul, he hated Christians, he didn't want anything to do with Jesus, and he was out to persecute Christians, and um, then all of a sudden Jesus revealed himself to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul um, said, who are you, Lord, and and basically believed and put his faith in Jesus right there and said, whatever you do, whatever you want me to do, tell me and I will do it. And um, again, we'll get into his name specifically here in a bit, but um, that's who the author is. So it's toward the end of his life. And also, this is written um, likely within about 30 years of Jesus' death and (coughs) resurrection. Okay, so that's really important to know. Um, that it's, it's close, all right? This is not too long after. And in fact, many of the people that witnessed Jesus die on the cross and then even raised from the dead would have would have been recipients of this or would have been aware of this guy, Paul, and of what he's doing. And um, it's really important, guys. I just want to say this because you might hear stuff and people just accept like. You know, who really knows who wrote the Bible? And this kind of stuff's like thrown around. Like, you know, is it really trustworthy or when did it come? And who knows the dates? It's been translated and all these things from language to language to language. And really, most of that is really not not true. That's just not historically accurate. Like, we know who wrote. It says Paul and then he's writing to his friend, someone he mentored His disciple, Titus, and he even called him His true child And so again, there's a relationship This is somebody else's male And um, something else A theme that we'll see throughout Is a, a Greek word, um, hygieno, And um, it's, uh, it, it's It's translated in English Sound And it shows up about five times throughout Titus, it's a short book, right Short little letter And sound is in there a lot like sound judgment and sound doctrine and sound teaching and and we need to understand what that means because there are days sound I mean maybe we think of like accurate but a closer translation maybe would be like healthy or or health but again even that gets a little bit confusing in our day because a lot of times you'll come to a church and it's like a bunch of platitudes and anecdotes and you know 10 steps to healthy wealthy and wise living and you know, things like that, or you hear, you know, healthy is, I don't know, crossfit, you know, do crossfit. Um, which is cool, but by the way, you know how you know how somebody does crossfit? You can tell, there's a way you can tell. Somebody does crossfit. They'll tell you, that's how, they will tell you. Um, and I'm not gonna, because it injured me. A couple times I've tried to do it, it hurt me, so I don't do it, so fine it. But we think of health maybe that way, right, like, It's about being, you know, just healthy. Well, a closer word to sound, and as it shows up here in the scripture, is more like holistically healthy. And again, though, we think maybe you hear that and you're like, oh, Sedona. Like, go to Sedona and kind of be one with the earth and natural, you know, holistic kind of stuff. But um, it's closer to the Old Testament idea that we need to really grow to understand and and accept and, and appreciate of Shalom. Then, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, there was Shalom. Everything was right. The word is is directly translated as peace. And so some of you may have heard that Jerusalem is the city of Shalom. That's what it's named as the place where Shalom happens, the place where there's peace. And again, of course, we know in our historical context right now, it's not a city of peace. But but as God proclaimed, it ought to be and it will be one day when Jesus restores his kingdom once and for all. It will be in the city where God dwells with man and everything is how it's supposed to be in the beginning, before sin entered into the world, God is God, and His creation, His people, His image bearers are His people, and all of life is full of shalom. Relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationship with self, relationship with the world, with work, with commerce, everything is as it ought to be. So that's the idea, that's the the common theme as we walk through Titus, and you hear sound, or health, spoken about, that's what needs to come to mind. And, and the big thing is this, that Paul is writing to Titus, a young, like a church planter if you will, a young leader, influencer, and he's saying, look, this is what it should look like for the church to be healthy. The healthy people of God. And the main idea is this, the healthy people of the one true God. Right? The church is the people of God. And there's only one God. The God of the Bible. He's the true God. And His people living life under Shalom. Soundly. As it ought to be lived under His headship. Is the big idea. And, and, the, and the connection. And we'll see this. And this directly relates to baptism. And that also shows up is. You live what you believe. Right? Can I, is, that, is that true? A lot of us though say we believe something. But then live something very different. And, and, and the message here, and the and the message to the, the church in Crete, a small island just off of the country of Greece, is um no no, what you live, that's what you really believe. Right? What 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 you say, yeah, that matters, but really how you live that's that indicates what you believe. And so so that's that bears in mind and Paul really even in a short four verse introduction, he kind of sets us off on that trajectory to understand. Okay, so let me pray how we kinda of have our bearings our hands on the steering wheel or octopus steering wheel, maybe more appropriately. And um let's uh let's just pray and ask God to to, to oversee our time kind of together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we confess that um Lord that we have all sinned and, and and turned away from you and that um if left to our own vices we would chop up your word and do whatever we wanted with it and make it kind of serve our agenda. But um, we, we confess that, that the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God endures forever so we come humbly under you and we submit to your scripture, um, your mail written to your people your, your creation and uh, Lord we uh, pray that you will give us eyes to see and ears to understand and, and soft hearts to receive the good news of Jesus and we pray this thing in his name, Amen all right, picking up with me. Here we go. Turn to your neighbor and say, "Welcome to Titus, chapter one." And here we go. Verse one: Paul, a servant of God. All right. Okay, we didn't get very far. <laughs> Paul, a servant of God. Right? We just read and we skip through, and I've read over this tons in the last couple months of. Uh, preparing for this sermon series but um, Paul means something and, and we need to I don't know if you're just, you just kind of reading oh yeah Paul and just kind of move right on but it means something if you remember what was his name right what, what was it yeah and what did Jesus call him when he called him to him he said Saul Saul well Saul had connotations with it and meant like big lofty important um, the first king of Israel was Saul, King Saul. And the people chosen because he was, he was like the guy, he was that guy, the guy I kind of look up to physically and metaphorically. The guy is, you know, the captain of everything, the cool guy and does everything. And Saul was the first king and the people of Israel wanted him to be their king because he looked the part. And by human standards, he was like, he was it. And, and um, they wanted all the other nations and countries to be jealous of them. And so that's that's what this name Saul carries with it. And so Saul, this man, Saul of Tarsus, was on his high horse, again, figuratively and l- 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 literally, he's on a horse. On a trajectory to go and persecute the church. And he was going to, to kind of advance his own agenda. And he had studied under the right people. He definitely didn't go to ASU. He went to U of A. He had a good degree. And he, No, sorry. We have some people here. It's okay. Um, we love you. And, um, but so he, had all, he, was, he studied under the right people. He did all the right things. He observed all the right stuff. And that's who we're talking with, Saul. And yet Jesus changed his name met him, knocked him off his horse and changed his name. Usually when Jesus changed somebody's name it was to ennoble them. It was to empower them. If you remember his disciple, his follower Peter was named Cephas and um, he had denied Jesus and he had taken on this identity of shame and he had turned away from Jesus. But then when Jesus wants to restore him, he says, no, no, you're no longer called Cephas. Your name is now Petros, Peter, the rock, upon whom I will build my church, and he changes his identity, and he, and he restores it to who he is in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus he says, hey, your faith and your identity is based on me and what I've already done, so you're now Peter. But the same is true here for Saul. It's like, hey, your lofty position, your high horse, and you're upon, all upon yourself, and then you're, you're tempted to build your identity and to establish your ministry and your platform based on these things. I'm going to give you a name that means small. Thank you, Mom, for not meaning me, Paul. It would have made life all the harder. But Paul um, literally means small or, or humble. And, and God wanted to tell him, no, you need to be reminded. Your ministry needs to be based upon um, who you are, humble, as my servant. It says, a servant of God. That word is literally a bond servant or a slave. One who does his master's bidding. And this means I do whatever God would have me do. He's at the end of his life. Think about your own life. Think about what it would look like to write a letter to your someone who's like your child, or perhaps is your child. And in this case, he says, You're like a son to me down in verse 4. My true child. He says, I want I want you to remember who I am, and my identity is based on who God is and what he tells me to do. And but then he says an apostle, right? So he now he's like kind of a paradox. He kind of name drops, kinda of slips his business card in there. I have opportunity to do that. Every time someone asks me, Omer says, Oh, you're a pastor. A oh, youth pastor, obviously, right? You're gonna be a youth pastor. I say, yes, look well, for a church is very young. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but that's changing. So if you're here and you you you're older, we're really glad you're here. Thank you, and you're changing it from me looking like a youth pastor all the time. But um, seriously, this just happened on Friday. A guy literally said, "A youth pastor." just clearly didn't even ask. He's like, "Clearly, youth pastor." And that's but I want to like just throw down my card and be like, "No, you know, lead pastor," and me give myself more titles than I actually have just to build. But um. But, but other people in here, I know I know someone here who's an attorney, works for the U of A. There's another guy here who applies A 10s and I'm like their 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 like personal spokesperson. I always want to like name drop for them for what they do, and I introduce like this guy to make hand pilots, and they're humble and like, to stop. Um, and um, but that's Paul. It's like what's he doing? Because he does name drop a little bit here. I'm an apostle, kind of. Thing. Well, he's doing that to empower Timothy. He's using his status for the good of others in the advancement of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And too often in our day, we have leaders that use their titles to build themselves up and to, and to kind of build themselves up on a platform and say, this is where I am and this is who I am. But Paul says, I'm humble. I'm, I'm a servant. I'm a slave. I'm a small slave. That's who I am. And Timothy. And Titus, this is Titus, he writes a similar letter to Timothy as well. But to Titus, he says, Titus, I want you to remember, um, you need to carry my same posture. You need to be both humble and bold. And, and we want to embrace that here as a church. So if you put your faith in Jesus, you are both humbly bold, or boldly humble. You are both Paul. A small slave and an apostle. You're not saying an apostle in its capital A it means you actually, physically, literally saw Jesus raised from the dead. And then he literally said, now go build, he sent you to go build this church. Okay, there are only 12 of those, that, those titles have already been taken. But a sent one of Jesus, an empowered one of the resurrected Jesus who we celebrated last week. And, and so Paul is reminding him, hey, um, you, you need to have a true understanding of yourself. You're small. Don't be built up. Huh? In fact, I'm giving you this ministry down in, um, in the rest. He says, For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. And then down in verse 4, we're going to come back to verses 2 and 3 and kind of hunker down and end there. But then he kind of carries this theme down in verse 4 To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And initially, he's writing this letter to Titus, right? It's in Titus, to Titus. But later in the letter, he uses the plural for you. Because he knows that this isn't just, the beast just to sit with Titus. Paul doesn't use his status and everything he's done and all this stuff, and then he doesn't um, now say, I am humbled, I'm small, I'm a servant, and, um, and I'm also an apostle, but I'm giving this to you, and then Titus could very well be tempted to be like... Man, an apostle gave me this. He built me this, and he's got his card down, and he goes and just drops it on everybody. He says, "Hey, you should believe everything I'm saying. Like, respect me. I'm not a youth pastor, right? Like, just you know, give me props that I deserve." And, and no, but he says, "Hey, be humble as I am. You're like my true child." As I have led you, as I have mentored you, take on your identity in that way. But also take it on and be built up and be encouraged that that, that Jesus Christ himself has empowered me. And now I'm empowering and equipping you. and, and, And this isn't just for you, Titus. This is for the good of others. For the sake of God's people. For the sake of the elect. Through faith in Jesus. Use your power and your status for the good of others. And it is so important. I mean, we have a lot of young people here who are probably going to lead things one day. We have even people here who want to lead in ministry one day. A lot of people who have aspirations of, you know, being a pastor and a leader or an author or whatever it might be. And let me just say, as we say often here, um, take our cues from God's Word. You never, ever see an example in Scripture like we so sadly see so predominantly today. Where someone's in their place of position and status and they use that for their good, we have a phrase that the lead pastor of the biggest redemption congregation in Phoenix constantly says, fight for obscurity. Fight for obscurity. There are no little people in no little places. Or another phrase is we push leadership down. We distribute leadership as much as we can. It's not about building yourself up. And we see that from the very beginning that everything that Paul is going to write in his short letter, Is for the good of others. And then he goes on and says, as we saw there at the end of verse 1, he says, For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. What we believe translates into how we live. Their knowledge of God that leads into godliness that will naturally flow out into Godliness. If they believe and understand the true God, the one true God in the Bible, it will translate into how they live. There's no sacred, secular divide here. We've even talked in some ways, we go out of our way, we are incredibly intentional with everything we do, okay? So let me ask you, what is this right here? What are we looking at up here in the front? What's this? What is this? A truck. And it's also a baptismal the baptism, baptism pain, And it's both, and this is both sacred and secular. It's, it's something that is, is used for an ordinance, a sacrament that Jesus commanded His church to follow. That we take very seriously. That we say, if you're a follower of Jesus, you put your faith in Him, and you've not been baptized. You're living in disobedience. He says, repent and believe and be baptized observe these things that i've commanded you to observe and so we get this is a very sacred thing but it's also a trap right we're not gonna we're not gonna call it something else it's dirty this one is i don't think has ever been used for you know cows and horses and stuff but it very well made occasion. and um the sacred secular divide is just blown up in the scriptures does that term make sense the sacred secular divine we tend to put God and these things up here lofty lofty and we rightly should put them up there and say God is holy set apart but he also created all things and he said he said go have dominion you are created in my image and that through faith in Jesus you're restored in faith and now go and live all of life for my glory and do everything Do your work. Do everything to my glory. We want to separate it. And we want to separate Sunday morning from Saturday night and from Monday. And yet he says, no, no. Uh, The the resurrection blows all that up. And Sunday to Sunday. is all for the glory of God and the good of others. It's all to be lived for Jesus' glory in his name. And he blows that up right here. And he says, for the knowledge of the truth of God. Which accords with God's and then he goes on in verse two, and he's speaking to the church in Crete, that is eerily similar to us here today in a lot of ways. Just like Judges was, we just read Judges, right? We had a lot to learn, but we have a lot of similarities as well with this church. He says, "In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before he the ages began." And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. In this time right now, in that context, the people need to hear the good news of Jesus proclaimed. And it's of the one true God of the Bible. The God who never lies. And we just read that and go on. But we need to pause for a moment and sit in that. Just like the people of Crete would need to hear that and be like, huh. Because maybe, in our minds, that's just a given. Of course God never lies. But it wasn't so for the people of Crete. And I would submit to you that that's not true for us in our hearts. For many of us in our hearts. We don't just take that and accept it. Because the Crete, the Cretans, is down in verse 12, which we'll get to in a couple weeks, Paul writes, and he quotes a Cretan... Um, like the philosopher, and he says it's true that all Cretans are liars and and lazy gluttons and and you can't trust them and um and yeah he goes down yeah he says Cretans are all Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, Man, evil beasts. That's like he just went there. you call someone an evil beast. lazy gluttons, sundellers No, sorry, that's the last one. But. But they right things come to mind. So if you said a Cretan, something negative comes to mind, right? By the way, the lead pastor of all redemption is a diehard sundown, so Yes, we go at each other and don't tell them, Sit, sit on this. But um, <laughs> Cretans, right? We hear Cretan it just sounds bad. But it sounds bad because it's has a correlation with something that was true. Like if you were from Crete. Like, you were wilding out, you were partying, it was associated that you were lazy, you were glutton, that you were having parties all the time, that you couldn't be trusted. And so he says, um, you know, that's the audience here, guys, that's the audience, that's who's receiving this mail, is a man named Titus who's planting a church and leading churches amongst a people like this. And just like we say, he's going to be taught and encouraged to live all of life all for Jesus to be gospel-centered and outward-focused. But Paul needs to take a moment and explain, "Hey, outward focus does not mean you just blend in with your surroundings. It doesn't mean that you just look like everyone that you're ministering to. And the Cretans had a reputation; they lived a certain way that they uh, reflected what they believed." Amen. They lived a certain way that reflected what they believed to be true of God or of gods in their world. Right? They lived in a mythological um, society that believed in the pantheon of gods, the Roman and Greek gods, Zeus, right? Aphrodite, all these, all these gods that were known for everything we just read, being lazy and gluttonous promiscuous and just laying, having orgies and and deceiving people, and they're laying in heaven in the skies, in in Olympus, and they're kind of lounging around just eating and drinking all day, and then thinking, hey, I I want that earthly woman. I'm going to go and deceive her, and and Zeus, right? Like, it changes itself to look like a bull, and then all these crazy things. Well, the people of Crete, the people receiving this letter— Something came to mind when they heard the word God. What what comes to mind for you when you hear God? For them, it was something along the lines of lazy and untrustworthy. And he said, No, no. The God of the Bible, who never lies, living healthily, living shalom, living in relationship with all that you do and all that you are flows out of who you believe God to be. And the one true God of the Bible, the real God, as John Calvin says, the one with whom you have to do, He doesn't lie. The real one that you will stand before one day, the the Creator, the Judge, the Redeemer, the Restorer, the Forgiver, the King, he doesn't lie. And hopefully most of us in this room are like, yeah, I get that. I don't think God lies. I pray that that's true. But I believe probably that most of us, if we're taking the time right now to allow it to maybe settle into our hearts a little bit, do you need to be reminded that God is a God who doesn't lie? Maybe because you hear God the father and something else comes to mind for you. You associate a father with someone that does lie does abandon, it does leave. Maybe you've um, you've been hurt by church, by religion, so you hear God and you just associate it with people who do lie, who are looking out for their own, who aren't trustworthy. Maybe you've experienced some hurt before and you hear that God is good and powerful and all-knowing and you wonder, where were you? Are you trustworthy? Well, the reminder and everything that follows here in this letter about living your life as God designed it to be is built upon the foundational truth that God never lies. That He is trustworthy. And yet we need to recognize that many of us confess with our mouth that we believe in God, but we live our lives trusting in Zeus. We live our lives built upon a God who's not really for us, a God who is not really powerful, a God who is lazy, and therefore we live lives that reflect what we truly believe in Zeus rather than Yahweh, the God of the Bible. So how do you know he's trustworthy? More than anything, as this entire thing, this entire letter is built upon, and the language that's used, the hope of eternal life through Jesus, God, our Savior, always comes back to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. How do you know God's trustworthy? Well, he's proven himself to be trustworthy. He's made promises from the very beginning of time, from Genesis chapter 3. He said, I'll put an end to sin. I'll put an end to the effects of brokenness. I will crush the serpent. I will crush the liar. I will one day restore what has been broken. I I will bless the entire nations. And he did that. Through the cross, and we know that God is for us and God loves us because He shows us that, because He sent His Son to die on the cross, as Romans tells us, that God demonstrates His love for us and this. Well, how do we know that He's powerful? Well, we celebrate it on Sunday, last Sunday, and we celebrate today, and we celebrate every Sunday, that every Sunday is a type of Easter. It's a reminder that God is both trustworthy and true because Jesus died and then rose from the dead. So that through him, we can have life in full, in soundness, in health, in holistic health, in shalom, as it ought to be. So in this short intro, Paul sets us up in his letter to a young man, Titus, who's likely asking a lot of questions. in a a ministry context to a bunch of people whose lives are being formed by a broken understanding of God. And the message is this. The good news is this. Now, how you live rightly directly relates to the one true God of the Bible who's called you to put your trust in Him, to follow Him, who's pursued you and is pursuing you today, who died on the cross, and rose from the dead, and said, come and follow me, and give me your life, and live all of life as it ought to be lived in relationship to me. And baptism is directly related to this. As we prepare to respond, as we do every week, we're going to come up, we're going we're to do some things that we do every week. Okay, we respond in singing because what we're doing when we do that is we are responding and saying these things are true. The songs that we sing after hearing the gospel—okay, that word means good news. After hearing the good news of Jesus, we read these things and we hear these things, and then we respond in singing. You'll see some people holding their hands and, and it's okay if you don't want to do that and maybe even one day you'll see people kneeling or people with their eyes closed or people you know weeping or, or, or excited and whatever it might be and it's responding to the good news of Jesus and hands raised by the way means I surrender and I, I exalt and I, I, I declare I lift you up it's it so if you've ever wondered like What is that? Wave your hand in the air, act like you just don't care. What's going on with that? It's it's, I surrender. I give my life to you. I trust you. Um, You are trustworthy. You're the real God. You're the one with whom I have to do. You're the only one, the one I have to relate. The only one in whom I have hope. So we'll respond today in this way. We respond by giving. We have giving boxes in the back there. We have giving ways to give online. We always say, if you're not a Christian, even if you're here for years and you're with us, you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd encourage you not to give, because giving really is a demonstration that if you are a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you and, and, and exhort you to give, because it is a direct way that God has given us to declare you are trustworthy. And all that I have, I entrust that to you. I give a portion of what you've given to me. I trust you. I give it to you. I want to be a part of what you're doing in the advancement of your kingdom in this way. And then we respond in communion. Every single week, we respond in communion. And we, we come forward and we, and, we, and we remember the body of Jesus broken and the blood of Jesus poured out. The good news. Again, the cross that reminds us when we need reminding that He is good and trustworthy. And that through Him alone, we have life as it ought to be lived. We have forgiveness. we desperately need and we have acceptance that we desperately long for. And again if you're not a follower of Jesus I would encourage you and ask you this week and every week, don't come and take communion. In fact the Bible warns us that it's a dangerous thing to do. Because what you're doing is you're saying I identify with Jesus. Who He is and what He's done and what He's doing defines my life and I take communion to remember that. And then we'll pray. We have people in the back to pray. And every week they're there to pray for anything. If you're putting your trust in Jesus for the first time, they want to pray with you. If you have something else going on in your life, if you need reminding, if you need to confess, if you need to be reminded of the good news of Jesus, ask for prayer. And then today, we don't do it every Sunday, but today we celebrate another sacrament, another gift of God given to the church back to And in a moment, um, I'm going to dismiss the parents and I'm going to pray for us. But before I do that, I want to explain a little bit about baptism, okay, about what we do and why we're doing it. I want to just use this time to explain. Some of you who've been here from the very beginning remember that we had it up there and we used to do it up there and now it's right here and, and maybe again you, you've been around church for a long time and you've wondered or maybe you've put your faith in Jesus and you've never been baptized and you're wondering like I don't know I'd be kind of embarrassed and um, I actually know of and heard of a lead pastor who was never baptized and just didn't want to because I think he didn't rightly understand what he was disobeying and also the fear of others was driving that. And he's like, man, what is my church going to think of? I've been up here baptizing people and I've never been baptized. And, and that kind of stuff drives us. So what is it? What, it's kind of weird, right? Like it's like a dunking. Like what are we doing? Well, there's a lot of meaning in, in symbolism going on here. And, and we intentionally moved it from up there to right down here in the middle because A, um, we tend to make things really clean and neat. Again, that sacred secular divide. And, and we want to take it from being up there and distant to right here in the middle of community because there is an individual declaration that you're coming forward and you're saying, I identify with Jesus. And again, as I said earlier, buried with Him and raised again to new life in Christ. And everybody applauds and and comes up and friends and family or just people that want to encourage them. You come forward and you hug or you shake their hand and give them a high five or knuckles or whatever you do. And you you say, this is a good thing. and I'm encouraged by this. And also, it's here amongst us because it's meant to remind us of the good news of Jesus in your life again it's a sacrament and we need to treat it as such and I want to admit that we maybe haven't done that too often as a church have you ever been to a wedding where the officiate, if you've ever been the one that I've officiated I'll say at the very beginning I'll charge the couple turn and look at everyone who's here and then I'll encourage everyone who's there lean into one another if you're here with your spouse hold their hand look at them in the eyes remember the covenant that you've made then when we talk about putting rings on our fingers, you remember, this is meant to remind you that you are no longer one individual. But you are now one alongside another, that what um, was two now becomes one flesh. And it's meant to remind you of the covenant of marriage, that your very relationship with your spouse reflects God Almighty. And similarly, baptism as communion is meant to be a reminder. Live into your baptism identity. You who are being baptized today. Remember this moment. Take a picture. Look back on this moment. My older three kids got to be baptized last year. And we've used this in discipline with them. Loving correction. Saying, live into your baptism identity. Remember, the old has been put to death. Because of the finished work of Jesus, you now have the ability to close that computer in the moment of temptation. Sin has been put to death once and for all. You now have the ability to make that phone call, to send that text, to reach out to the community who's here and saying, I see your baptism. I'm coming around you. I want to help you throughout your life live into your identity as a follower of Jesus, dead to sin and alive to new life in Jesus Christ. It's not just a one-time event. It's not just checking off a box. This is meant to define you and to remind you of who you are in Jesus. Amen? This is good. So what we're going to do today is those who are being baptized are going to go over here and they're going to start here. We're going to wait. There's going to be some time. We're going to do it in the second song and I'm just going to get it out of the way. We're going to have some time to think and to respond, to pray, to sing. And then those who have already said they're being baptized are going to come forward. And anyone else here who's never been baptized and is a follower of Jesus, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is Lord and that through Him and Him alone you have life, We have extra shirts and extra towels, and I would encourage you to come and to be baptized on this day. And they're going to come forward, and the first person, Jared, one of the people who helps to lead here, is going to ask the question. He's going to say, do you believe in God, the creator of all things, and that that he has created you in his image, and that you have turned away from him and deserve judgment, and outside of his intervention, you, you have no hope. And then that person will say, yes, I believe these things. And we'll come to the next person who will say, it's going to be David Wagner, who is another leader here. and He will say, do you believe in Jesus, God the Son, fully God and fully man, that through Him and Him alone you have forgiveness and acceptance before God? Yes, I believe these things. And then I'll be at the third station right over here and I'll come and I'll say, do you commit to live all for all of life, all for Jesus, all of your days, through the power of God the Holy Spirit, alongside the community that He has provided for you. Yes, I commit to these things by the help of God the Holy Spirit. And then that person will get into the trough slash baptismal and will be reminded, you are now baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ and raised again to new life in Him. And we will applaud and cheer and come forward and embrace and welcome and encourage and be reminded of Life Live is the healthy church of the one true God. That's good news, amen? amen. All right, parents, i you go ahead and dismiss you. Go get your kids, please. We want the kids to be a part of this. We want them to celebrate with us and to be in here and to see this and uh, to participate in this gift of God. Look around. You see, we've got a lot of young families in here. And let me go ahead and pray. The worship team is going to come forward and they're going to um, lead us now in our time kind of response and celebration. Let's pray.